Good evening. Thanks for coming back tonight. As you heard, there are a lot of families at Pinebrook. I think there are people that are taking uh, others to Victory Valley. A lot of things going on tonight. So great to see you. Glad you chose to be with us tonight. Hope you have a handout. We're looking at Psalm 2, God's rule over the nations. Psalm 1 deals with the word. Psalm 2 deals with the world. Psalm 1 contrasts the righteous with the ungodly. Psalm 2 contrasts the nations with their divine ruler. Psalm 1 deals with the personal life. Psalm 2 deals with the outside world. Psalm 1 addresses the particular. Psalm 2 addresses the universal. In a certain sense, Psalm 1 and 2 serve as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. They alert us to the fact that the scriptures do not speak to our inner devotional life and personal de- uh, destiny, but also to the whole purpose of God in history and the future of the nations of the world as we know it. The Bible reveals God's plan and purpose for us as individuals and God's plan and purpose for the nations. It reveals what happens when people individually oppose and reject God's rule, and also what happens when people band together in their opposition and rejection of God's rule. In this second element, it is this second element that Psalm 2 addresses specifically, namely what happens when people form alliances in opposition to God's rule. It's essential that as Christians we formulate a Christian worldview that simply means that we come to understand how we're to view all of life through the lens of Scripture, that we're to be able to understand God's working and purposes, that we look at his world and rest in God's decrees and interventions in accordance with his sovereign rule. We need to be convinced of God's providence at work in all of the natural events and social order that manifests itself in our day and the days to come. So our theme tonight is that God's rule over the nations cannot be overthrown. While the primary application of this psalm is the period during the millennial reign of Christ, the general application is true for all times. So God's kingdom is going to be manifest in a very unique way during the time of the millennium, but there's a sense in which God rules now. I'd like to review quickly for you the article, the article of faith, the kingdom of God. Uh, I am particularly fond of this because I served on a chairman as a study committee that wrote this. And so uh, this was our conclusion about uh, the kingdom of God. God is the almighty sovereign who reigns eternally over all creation. His kingdom triumphs forever according to his will. Even the sinful rebellion of mankind cannot defeat him but instead serves and glorifies him. God's plan, demonstrated throughout human history, has been to reveal his kingship on earth by delegating kingly dominion to human beings as his image bear. Now that is so important to keep in mind. That starts right off with Adam and Eve, where God said, let us make man in our likeness after uh, our image. Uh, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc., etc." So uh, they were to rule in keeping with God's image. And then I've been emphasizing as we uh, look at the books of First and Second Samuel that David was to reign in a manner that was in keeping with the way in which Christ will reign. Uh, so this reigning over the earth is uh, a main part of the role of mankind 
as God has established it. Through Adam's fall, the exercise of this dominion has been corrupted, and man needs redemption in order to glorify God and reign in accordance with his will. As the last Adam, Jesus and his humanity manifest the proper vice-regency of the kingdom of God for the purpose of redemption and restoration, which will ultimately usher in the glorious kingdom for which creation was destined. Thus, the kingdom of God is advanced in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and his present reign. Acknowledging this reign, Christians confess that Christ is Lord and willingly submit to his rulership in their personal lives and welcome his authority over all creation. So we as a people recognize God's kingdom and uh, we are glad to own him as a king. But there are many people that do not. So when Christ returns, 27.3, the millennial reign of Christ, is a further advancement of the kingdom whereby Jesus, through his second coming, brings his inaugurated kingdom to earth and makes it visible. During this reign, Christ will fulfill kingdom promises as he establishes righteousness, justice, and peace throughout all creation. At the start of this period, saints will be resurrected bodily to join the reign with Christ. Satan will be bound and his deceitful activities suspended. Nevertheless, an undercurrent of human sinful resistance will continue through the millennium. Though held in check as Christ rules with a rod of iron, at the end of this millennial reign, Satan will be released to lead a rebellion against God's people and the Lord Jesus. In a climactic manifestation of his kingship, Christ will defeat the rebellion. So, Psalm 2 describes this rebellious mindset of the nations. And the key verse is Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Uh, you ever thought about why someone might do something that they know is going to fail? Have you ever wondered why Satan rebels against God, knowing what his end will be, uh, knowing that he is going to be uh, tormented forever and ever, knowing that he cannot defeat God? Uh, but mankind does. And so we have the answer in the following points. First, the leaders gather collectively to rebel against God. The nature of the rebellion, of the leaders' rebellion, they take a position against or in opposition to the Lord. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying. So here is a plot. They take counsel, they talk together, and they take a position, and they are going to oppose the things of the Lord. The reason for the rebellion is that they do not want to be submissive to God, his kingdom, his kingship, or his laws. They see submission to God as bondage, his sovereignty as restrictive, and his will as demeaning. So Psalm 2-3 says, let us burst their bonds asunder, and cast away their cords from us, referring to the Trinity. The second reason for the rebellion is the nations want autonomy, self-rule. They want freedom from any attachment to God. Responding to the serpent's whisper to Eve in the garden, they want to be like God. They want to be their own God. And so they say, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. 
These are words of people who are in bondage. Uh, the first has the idea of prisoner who uh, are trying to get rid of the bonds. Uh, King James says fetters. Uh, people who are held in ankle bracelet, bracelets. That's the way, the way they see God's rule. They're, they're not free to do what they want to do. They feel oppressed. They feel restricted. And the second one, to cast away the cords from us, uh, speaks of, of one who is taken captive. Uh, one who uh, is defeated. And so they don't want to be taken captive. They don't want to be defeated. They want to be free to do whatever they want to do. Secondly, God's response to the rebellious nations. Well, first, God laughs at the rebellious nations for their foolishness and opposing his nature. God's throne is not in danger. He is not threatened. Notice verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. God's sitting in heaven is an imagery of God sitting upon his throne, and those around him are his own. So he sits in heaven on his mighty throne. And as the nations shout their threats, as they gather together to rebel against God, he laughs. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Uh, not fearful, not afraid, not threatened, amused, amused, because they know that they are not a threat. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where a two-year-old uh, has raised their fist to you and uh, tries to take you on, and, and that's kind of cute in a way, because you know they're not going to get anywhere. Well, this is far, far superior to that. Uh, God simply laughs. Application. God is not worried by the opposition of the governing authorities. Nor should we. Nor should we. As, as Christians, we shouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about the fact that human governments stand in opposition to God. They're going to. That shouldn't surprise us. They don't want to recognize this kingship. It goes all the way back to Herod. It goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to every generation. And somehow, we've gotten this idea that we live in a unique period of time in which the government is not real supportive of Christianity. Look around the world. That's not something to be fretting about. That's not something to be worried about. Governments, with all their power, governments, with all their collusion, even if the world governments gather together to take a position against God, they can't oppose him beyond what he allows. It's impossible. B, God is not threatened. His sovereign rule is not in jeopardy. The outcome is not uncertain. It's not like we're in a cosmic battle and we're hoping that God's forces are ultimately going to conquer 
the evil of this world. And we're not just sitting back and watching and, and wondering what this outcome is going to be. The book of Revelation is quite clear. We know what the outcome is. See, we are headed upon a collision course in this world. The non-believing world is going to rise up in clear opposition to God. That's not a mystery. That's a fact. That's a given. Now, we don't know the timetable. We don't know when ultimately that is going to take place in its fullest manifestation. But the reality is that there is an underlying present current, as there always has been from the time of Adam and Eve, of nations that are going to be opposing God's people and God's word, that won't want to come under his authority, that they view it as bondage, they view it as giving up their freedoms, they don't want to be humbled, they want to be strong, they want to be independent, they want to be autonomous. So there is nothing, nothing new about that whatsoever. D, we should not be surprised nor amazed at the increasing hostility that is being demonstrated against Christianity. It's, it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's coming. It's coming. B. God's second response to rebellious nations is to rebuke them in his anger. Though God is laughing, he is not amused. Number one, God breathes out threats against the nations. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying. So God issues warnings. Uh, God tells us what is going to take place. Uh, God warns about rebelling against him. And we have seen in times past the utter consequences of that rebellion. Okay? We are to be learning from these Old Testament stories, which are actual historical events, and the most famous of which we all know is Pharaoh, who will not let God's people go, and who rallies all the forces to keep Israel confined in bondage, in slavery. And we all know the outcome. We all know the fertility. We all know how God warned Pharaoh time and time and time again, for God is long-suffering. And Moses was sent to Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh, what was going to be the consequences of the action? What plague was going to take place next? And, of course, ultimately, the firstborn child is killed, then finally let go, and then, once again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened and sends out the army to uh, capture the Israelites once they have been uh, departed from the land of Egypt, get to the Red Sea, and of course, they're drowned. They're drowned. So, God breathes out threats. 
Number two, God is enthroned as king. Psalm 2, verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is referring to Christ and his reign that is going to take place again in the millennium. And God's king is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 2, 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said unto me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now Psalm 2, verse 7 is quoted in the book of Hebrews as referring to the Lord Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, Long ago, and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds all the universe by the word of his power. Making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. For God will give Christ rule over the nations. Psalm 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. And the book of Hebrews, again, quotes this and gives this to the Lord Jesus. And it tells us that we see all things are put under him, but yet we do not yet see all things under him. So Christ is reigning, but he is not yet reigning with a rod of iron as he will during the time of the millennium, which brings us to five. Christ will put down all rebellion of the nations. Psalm 2, verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Alluded to twice in the book of Revelation. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Then again in Revelation 19, then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and as on the head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is going to literally be fulfilled. Christ is going to establish his throne on this earth. And there will be people, nations, that resent that rule, even though he rules in righteousness, even though he rules in holiness, even though he rules in goodness. They simply will reject his rule. And they will band together. And they will seek to oppose Christ and his people. And they will be completely and utterly defeated. 
That's the primary teaching of Psalm 2. But as I say, there are certainly implications for us today as well. Number three, God calls the nations to repentance. The rulers of this world are called to heed the word of God. Psalm 2, verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. The kings are to stop and consider. That's speaking to our leaders. That's speaking to world leaders. To stop and to consider the claims of the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us what is morally right and what is morally wrong. How one should live and how one should not live. And all of the rhetoric and all the laws and all the positions that are taken on social justice, etc., are all addressed by the scriptures. There is a moral pathway. There is a need to be submissive to God. And I've read some incredible biographies of Abraham Lincoln and of George Washington and the purposefulness in which they sought to govern under Christ's authority. Their prayers, their consideration is really amazing. I have just been so encouraged and you know, things that, that I were never taught, but, but these are first-hand accounts. Just reading their own words are amazing. There have been periods of time in our nation when we've had very, very godly rulers. He calls the rulers to repentance. B, rather than to revolt, the leaders are called to a holy submission. Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rather than to be rebel against Christ's rule, they are to gladly to embrace it. And uh, here is a great lesson for us as believers. That is, rather than oppose Christ's rule over our own lives, we ought to embrace it, we ought to welcome it. God's laws are delightful. Psalm 1. Bless the man who takes delight in God's laws. To realize that he desires the best for us and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That which he requires of us is good and right and we should submit to. The nations are called to a sincere worship. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Kiss the son. If they do, the nations can experience a glorious end. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Conclusion, God will actively rule over all things in the pursuit of Christ. We should not rebel against Christ's rules. To rebel against Christ's rule is futile. Furthermore, 
To rebel against Christ's rule is detrimental to ourselves and others. E, we should embrace Christ's rule, for we are blessed in doing so. <clears throat> and we should encourage others to do so as well. Take comfort tonight. <coughs> Why do the nations rage? And the peoples imagine a vain thing. Don't worry. God is in control. He sits in the heavens and laughs. <coughs> Our Father, we thank you for your great mercy and grace. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know that one day he is going to return. And his rule is going to be established. And we are going to be with him forever and ever. In glorious, wonderful transformation. Living in a sin-free society, enjoying all the blessings of your righteous rule and your protection of us over all things. Lord, in this day in which we do not see the visible rule of Christ, yet we know that you are still sovereign. And we know that the nations cannot do anything other than what you allow. Lord, we, we know. You have told us. We have seen it. Down through the ages that God's people are opposed. Lord, may we not fear that opposition. May we trust in you. Keep us. Protect us. May your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.